You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. Welcome back to another episode of Partnernomics Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Brigman. And on today's show, we have Kyle Malat with us. So Kyle was the COO of DST Systems here in Kansas City. Spent a number of years with them, had an awesome career. Kyle, how are you doing this morning? Great, Mark. Thank you. So Kyle, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your, your career. I know you can do a lot better job of kind of summarizing that than I, than I could. If you would tell us a little bit about, uh, about the career chat. Sure, sure. So uh, spent the last 27 years up until January of this year uh, with DST. Uh, my whole career has been in financial services in one form or another. Uh, and then at DST over the years, I had a number of different roles from, from you know, general software development, product development, uh, innovation, uh, operations of all kind, uh, incubation, uh, lots of different things. And then, and then the last few years, just in more of a general role of, of the operating officer for our financial services company. So uh, what we do uh, was effectively provide financial services to very large uh, organizations, mostly mutual fund companies, uh, broker dealers, where we provide outsourcing of the complete accounting processes, as well as all the way to the call centers if, if necessary. So pretty comprehensive suite of services for uh, large financial institutions. So uh, a lot of different aspects of the business. Uh, we were very vertically integrated. And uh, so uh, one of the largest of what we did in the world, we were multinational, big operations in the UK, Canada, and uh, some in Asia. And Kyle, so DST Systems was fairly recently acquired. Is that, is that true? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. So Kyle, um, the, the focus of this podcast is on business to business partnerships yep. how organizations, you know, partner with each other and sharing some of those best practices. If you would share a little bit uh, about your career of how you had worked with other organizations and other companies to build new products and to help you guys uh, deliver services to your clients more efficiently. You bet. So as with most large companies, partnerships are critical, right? Um, there's no way to survive long-term without creating partnerships as one of the ways to, to grow the business. And we had a number of different aspects on how we went about that. And I think it's kind of interesting. A couple of the products that uh, kind of spanned a, a, a large number of years that evolved along with the business um, were related to what we call consortiums, which is a different version of, of a partnership, right? So, where we would want to provide a, a service or a, a, the ability for our customers to participate on a platform, if you will, where there was a common third party. So a consortium is an excellent way to go about creating critical mass so that you can drive the third party. And that's really one of my bigger definitions to a partnership versus a, um, really just a, a procurement type relationship is there's got to be a common third party, a customer of some sort that you and the partner are trying to reach. And so the consortiums were a great way for us to build critical mass, create a significant revenue stream, solve a problem for the customer's customer who wanted to have a single source of information across all of our customers. 
So everybody truly was able to get what they needed out of it. Um, and it creates some very interesting dynamics, you know, from a legal perspective, from a privacy perspective, et cetera. But it, it really kind of defines all of the characteristics of uh, having to really have a destination in mind when you go back creating um, a partnership that evolves over time. So Kyle, I want to ask you, uh, so I ran across a study, I think it was a couple of years ago, and they had talked about, they, they asked these C-level officers, what was keeping them from executing even more partnerships? So all of them you know, engaged in a lot of different partnerships, but they asked them, what's keeping you from engaging in more partnerships? And the, the most common response from the C-level officers was a fear of losing intellectual property yeah. and working with other companies and, uh, and you know, just a fear of, of losing that or of, of even not even being able to kind of separate or maintain some piece of ownership in some kind of collective uh, developed intellectual property. Can you share any experiences from your background of how you guys, maybe times that you ran into it or how you handled that? You know, that's, that's interesting. I'm, I'm a bit surprised. Uh, you know, it's in any kind of legal relationship, you've got an IP issue that you've got to deal with. But if that's a reason not to do partnerships, then that's a failing somewhere else in the organization because um, there's no way of course, to go into these relationships without some sharing of IP and you've got to have the trust. And I, I know you, you point that out, Mark, in your, your discussions on the, on one of the caveats of having a good partnership is trust. And so if you're in a situation where you're afraid to go into it because the partner is, is basically a threat to you from an IP perspective, not suggesting that it's not critical that you have some sort of governance around that, but then you've got the wrong partner. Yeah. Sage advice there. So Kyle, I want you to kind of go back into your career and think about some times that what were the funnest times? What were some of the best times whenever you worked with different partners? Would you mind sharing one or two examples of that? Well, it's like, it's no different than any other aspect, if you will, of, of uh, success and being able to kind of feel good about achieving something right, whether that's, um, you know, just the success of an associate, the success of, of a product that's built in another fashion, the successful fun partnerships are the ones where everybody at the table knows we're really onto something and that it really is one of those things where two plus two equals five, because, uh, it, it, you know, it, the success of being able to use a partnership and being able to run faster. And to me, that was always the main reason for a partnership versus built here was we got to run faster. Um, most companies, most big companies that I, especially in the software business, like to build it themselves. Everybody always defaults to that, at least historically, you know, in your larger organizations, historically people like to, to do it themselves. Um, but if you really want to make it happen, then you've got to move to other types of, of growth options. Yeah, Kyle, I'd like to drill into that one a little bit deeper. We've had this conversation several times about, you know, basically three avenues that, uh, that leaders can take to build their business. Uh, organic, we're going to build it ourselves, as you're talking about. Uh, acquisition, we're going to go out and buy a company and just ingest them. Or right. the third way, through partnering. 
how have you seen, you know, throughout your career, how have you seen those three avenues change it all over time or have you? Well, sure, sure. So I think the main driver to me that has affected those three options more critically than, than anything else recently is the product life cycle. So if you go back 15, 20 years, especially in software development, depending on your position in the marketplace, you had a little bit more time. At least there was a sense that you, you know, if we needed to take 18 months to write a bunch of, of software to provide this service to the industry, that was acceptable. Um, the life cycle today of being able to create something of value to generate revenue, especially in a publicly traded company, is, is much shorter. And so you've got to figure out a way to get there faster. And that's where partnerships have become more acute to the strategy. Um, there's also, due to a number of factors, in my opinion, uh, there's an escalation of failure uh, due to existing and new factors associated with acquisitions as well as organic growth. So if you look at the three, you can ratchet up, in my mind, the risk in the, in the organic. You can ratchet up the risk in the acquisition. Um, doesn't suggest there's not risk with partnerships, as you know there is. But if, you, if you've got the approach, you can minimize that. It certainly hasn't gotten any worse. It's gotten you know, better yeah. as far as your ability to be successful. So Kyle, you helped run innovation. You ran different innovation groups as, as part of DST Systems for, for a number of years. What kind of advice would you have for, let's say, some smaller companies that want to partner with what we call a sumo, uh, a big company such as DST, a multi-billion dollar company? What are some of the things that you look for whenever you are evaluating small companies and to see if uh, they would be a fit or not? So if, if, you, if, you, go, if you get past, uh, let's just say we're, we're past the original dating phase where we know we have alignment with respect to providing a function or a service to a customer, right? So you're at the table. Uh, at that point, what we're going to look at is your capability to deliver based upon, you know, what it is we're doing. So if you're partnering to deliver some IP of some sort, that's, you know, a piece of code, a piece of hardware, very different. If you're partnering that with, with a large company as a small company and you're going to need to scale or you're going to need to provide capabilities that are part of a regulated type business, or if you're going to need to have uh, certain types of uh, infrastructure. These are things that right off the get-go, we're going to look at so that we can determine whether or not this is even a, a viable opportunity, regardless of how much we may love what it is you do. You know, we gotta, we're going to automatically fast forward two years from now when this thing is a success and make sure that you can continue to deliver what it is we're getting in bed to do. Yeah. So Kyle, you know, I know that you have these different initiatives that you ran and having strategic partnerships. Uh, I want you to kind of speak to other senior executives that are thinking about standing up a strategic partnering group for the very first time. Right. What's, what's some advice that you would have as far as, functionally how the group should be organized and then even the individuals themselves what, what kind of traits and attributes should should those folks have to be successful in the role 
So, so first, I guess my first response would be don't even go there until you as the senior executive team have made a, a deep commitment to following through on the strategic plan that you're about to set those folks out to accomplish, right? You know, part of the challenge historically with, with any types of, of corporate actions along the lines of an acquisition or a partner is basically the uncommitted leaders or the misaligned leadership who can inadvertently cause a huge amount of time and money to be wasted. So don't go there unless you're committed to the strategic plan and have a strategic plan that says, here's what we're out to accomplish and that we're going to back these folks as long as they're helping us make good decisions. Um, you know, it's a very difficult process. So I, what I mean by that is typically you've got a number of, of individuals involved. There is a, it's kind of a quarterback kind of role where the ability to rally, the ability to, to continue to achieve milestones and the ability to share the vision and then be able to communicate it are critical. What I mean by that is, you know, the, the senior executives are going to want a, when you come back with the team and says, we need to partner with XYZ, they're going to need to see that there is a high level of commitment and due diligence that's been accomplished so that they can feel comfortable making a decision based upon the work that's been done. If you're not committed, they're not going to be committed. And so someone that's able to communicate that well and to carry that forward and it's again, it's 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 not easy. That but that's a critical role. That's a critical skill that you've got to have. So, Kyle, as you think about different company sizes, you know that you've mentored, you know, different folks in the startup phases, mid-tier companies. Obviously, you've uh, helped lead, you know, multi-billion-dollar company. With with respect to partnerships, are they a better fit for big businesses, small businesses? I mean, do they, do they kind of the partnerships span uh, kind of that full scope, or are they more designed for big businesses than small businesses, no. for example. Oh, I, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think it's uh, unique to a type of business or a size of business. I, I, I'm not sure that there's any uh, business that doesn't need the ability to partner. So whether that's a sole proprietorship or, or anything in between, you know, you, you, you've got to have that capability and you've got to have the ability to um, understand what it takes to create a successful one. So Kyle, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about kind of your leadership philosophy and some of that and kind of step away from the, the partner specific questions. But I want to ask you, so mentoring, and I know mentoring is uh, important to you. Uh, I want to ask you, is there any person that was uh, really pivotal in your career that acted as a mentor that uh, kind of helped you down, uh, down your career throughout the years? Oh, sure. You, you know, and I think uh, you, you've got to be a student of, of business and a student of uh, human nature, I think, to be to achieve any kind of real level of success, in, especially in a large organization. Um, I had a I had a uh, one of my bosses over the years um, was very good as a mentor from the standpoint of especially product development and innovation, right? So he was, he was very involved, but yet allowed a great level of autonomy. So high level of interest, 
high level of understanding of what we're trying to accomplish, a high level of uh, understanding of what a team needs to be successful. So <clears throat> some of the best leaders that I've worked for over the years were the ones that really understood the role of clearing the path. So once, once everyone has made a decision, then they are relentless in making sure that the team has what it needs to be successful and that the roadblocks can be eliminated as quickly as possible. That's, that's always been to me, some of the, some of the characteristics of a great leader, things that I try to do as well. If you put the right people in place as a leader, then you've got to trust, but obviously support at, at, at an extreme level. Kyle, I want to ask you about uh, business books. Do you like to read? And if so, uh, what, what, are, what are some of the good books that you've ran across lately? As a uh, student of business, and I would suggest that, again, a sole proprietor, a single business person that's running some sort of a business all the way through, you know, middle management to senior level, I, I've, I rarely have run across anyone that's been successful that doesn't have a committed plan to stay educated on their business and personal development. It's just, it seems to be something that's just required these days. And it also demonstrates, especially as I looked at my associates over the years, the ones that truly were in it for the long haul, that really wanted to get better and better and better. So I, I, I over the course of my years, I credit a great deal of the successes that I had here and there, not with a particular book, but with just the fact that I was always wanting to make sure that I felt comfortable that when I entered a room, especially with the senior management or someone that uh, was looking to me to gain confidence in my decision-making, that they felt very comfortable that I was very well-versed on my subject matter. And so, you know, over the years, uh, the, well, book recently is the book associated with the, uh, I'm just looking for copy I just finished it here is the history of, of success believes what it's called the book related to the uh, oculus rift acquisition by facebook the history of the future yeah that's it and just finished that and you know i think it's a great book for anyone in business regardless of size or position uh to read it, it really lays out quite frankly the do's and don'ts of partnerships and, uh, and it's not only that, but it's fascinating. So uh, that's, that's off top of mind. So. so that book is about, uh, I haven't read it yet, but that book is about an 18 year old, if I'm not mistaken, the gentleman that, uh, that started the company. Yeah, lucky I'm, so obviously I totally live in this world of partnerships. I'm completely fascinated by it. You had mentioned some, um, you know, how these big companies, their, their lifespans are shrinking. I know that, uh, Exponential Organizations is a book that both of us found a lot of value in, right. and they talk about just how how the the big businesses, the huge conglomerates, are is not the wave of the future. Actually, it's the it's the opposite, where you have more agile companies. I'm fascinated by that, and then also just how many young entrepreneurs. Right? Whenever you look at the Facebooks, the Airbnbs, the Instagrams, the Oculus Rifts, I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. A lot of these, uh, you know, these entrepreneurs, these founders are late teens or early to mid twenties. 
Yep. I'd love to just kind of hear from your perspective, what do you think the, the reason is? Whenever I think back, whenever you look at a lot of the big innovation that's come into, into business over the last decade, it's not coming from, in my opinion, it's not coming from the huge companies. You know, maybe the, the small, the very, very small exception to that is the great innovation that Apple continues to do. Right, right. But by and large, it's coming from uh, smaller companies. What's, uh, you know, I guess from an innovation perspective, or what, what is it that's, that's causing so much innovation to come from a disproportionately, what seems to be a disproportionately younger group of folks? Well, I, I, you know, it's just the availability of technology in my mind, right? And it's the familiarity of it with this generation that's grown up with it. And if you look at a lot of the things that, because I think the one caveat to what you said, Mark, was, you know, and the innovator's dilemma uh, or, and even uh, exponential growth, the, the largeness of the organization isn't the problem, right? It's, it's the methodology and the aggressiveness of, of using various types of partnerships and technologies so that the ability to have this, this 10 X type growth is, is there uh, versus a legacy organization, which will have a lot of difficulty from a technology perspective, pivoting aggressively. And, and why is that? Well, you can look at it from a number of different reasons. Uh, a lot of it is mindset. Uh, a lot of it's though very real. It's very difficult to unwind millions and millions and millions of lines of code and infrastructure, even though you may say, we're going to do this greenfield thing over here. It's very difficult to have the escape velocity in a large organization that's built differently to enable those things to kind of run on their own. Uh, very few companies, legacy companies are able to do it. Even, even in, in acquisitions, uh, often they get smothered by the mothership. So I think, you know, in general, when you look at a lot of the success, it's, it's, a, it's these organizations, whether they're brand new or whether they've been around for, you know, decades like Google, they grew up underneath the new technology mindset that said uh, infinite scalability is not just a nice to have, it's a absolute requirement from day one. And, and so if you look at all of these small, these businesses that you described, the one common thing they all have is what I call infinite scalability. And so that drives every other decision that you have to make. So Kyle, I've got one last question for you before we wrap up this episode. What advice would you give to a 25-year-old you know, man or woman that's uh, just, let's say they're out of college or they're really getting ready to, to start running yep. their career? Yep. What's kind of one piece of advice that you would share with them? Yeah, so, so what I would say is get involved. Don't worry about if you were or were not part of the original deal. Get involved. Be a part of a team that's working on some aspect of the partnership. Be aggressive in the desire to make it successful. Partner up with some of the, the leaders uh, that are big part of the partnering process and in the form of, of mentors, etc. Move to be a part of a team that's closer to it if, you, if, you, if there's no other way to do it. Uh, and then do it again. And then do it again. And eventually, you'll be start to be recognized as someone with the higher skill sets because it does require that. It requires um, the ability to be recognized as an A player. Most successful BD, you know, business development 
groups, leaders, whatever, they're all A players. You cannot be successful if you don't have the characteristics uh, that, that basically define a great A player. Probably the most important thing is work on your communication skills. Written, uh, verbal, yeah. all, all the above, right? Absolutely. So, you know, you can, you can be someone that is extremely bright, have some amazing ideas, some amazing things to offer your organization. But if you don't have the ability to communicate them effectively, that's all for naught. Yeah, great advice. Kyle, thanks for joining in. Sure. Thanks, Mark. Very fun. It's been another episode of Partneronomics Podcast. We'll see you next time. Partneronomics Podcast is brought to you by Partneronomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partneronomics Podcast, visit partneronomics.com. <laughs>